Well, church family, if you have your Bibles today, you can take it and open to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is where we're going to be today, specifically looking at verses 19 through 28. That's going to be our text. And um, as you're turning there, I just uh, want to take a moment, like I do, try to do at every service and just say, you know, if you are new with us today, um, thank you for being here. I know that every single Sunday that comes and goes, we have new faces, people here for the first time, folks I've never met before. And uh, I just want to say if this is your first time to church in general or your first time to UBC in particular, thank you guys for, for being here. Uh, we are blessed to have you. Um, I want to start out today's message by asking a question. Um, my question for you is pretty basic. It's just, have you ever been on a mission trip? You don't, you don't need to answer out loud. You don't need to raise your hand. Just in your mind, you know, have you ever, have you ever been on a mission trip? Um, some of you might say, you know what? No, I've never actually been on one. Uh, maybe the Lord will call you to go on one at some point. Others of you are saying, yep, I've been on mission trips. And some of you are like, you know, I've been on a lot of them. I've been on a lot of mission trips. I wonder today, can you remember your first one ever? Can you remember your first mission trip? Maybe the people you went with, the experiences you had, the places you were, you know, the, the memories that were there. Um, my first mission trip I took in 2003. And I teamed up with a group of about 25 people my age. And we all went to um, the area around Monterey, Mexico. There's a picture of uh, my team um, that's going to be popping up on the screen, hopefully at some point. There we are. And you can see the arrow pointing to me and my, you can't tell hardly if you're sitting in the back, but that man with long, flowing black hair. That is, that, that's actually not me. That's just the person I wish I could be. Uh, that's actually my friend Chad. And uh, I'm actually on the other side, the nerdy looking guy on the other side of the group. So that's me. That's anyways, that's just our group. Um, and we took off and we went down to Monterey, Mexico. And uh, as I reflect back on that trip, man, the Lord did so much uh, for us as we um, worked with the church and in some of the most impoverished areas. I, like any mission trip you take, the Lord does a lot of things in your heart. But I think for me, the reason why the Lord had me on that trip was because um, I think he wanted to open my eyes to the reality of poverty uh, outside of the United States. We live in such a blessed country with so many conveniences and I think that was probably the first time in my life that I had really seen and experienced true poverty, you know? And so the Lord softened my heart and really on that trip um, helped me realize that in Jesus, people can truly find hope regardless of their life circumstances. And also um, through Jesus's church, people can really find help. And so many of the churches there were helping the poor and the needy. And that was such an impactful trip for me. But one of the other things I also remember about that trip was coming home. There were kind of the, the jolting things, like when you've been in an area that's highly impoverished and then you come home and you're like, oh, right, in America we spend five bucks on a latte at, at Starbucks, you know, like they don't get to do that in other parts of the world. We have air conditioning here. They didn't have that there. There was those types of things. But then there was the comfort of coming back home to my local church. And at, in my local church at that time, we had a rhythm of sending out teams on mission trips and then when they would come back, we'd have these special called mission nights where the missions team gathered their, their family and friends and invited people who financially supported them on that trip and anybody else from the church that would wanna come. And we would just share about the trip, share what God had done in our hearts and in the hearts of the people we ministered to. And um, 
you know, we would pray. We would pray for the people we ministered to, pray for the churches that were in those other parts of the world. We would pray for our own hearts and for our church that we would stay on fire for the Lord and on mission for him even while we're here. And it was a blessing to come home to my local church after having gone on my first mission trip. I'm sharing that story with you today because in our text, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they return back to their local church after their first mission trip. This is the conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey. Today is study number 32 in our study straight through the book of Acts. And it's been a fun study so far, but just a basic reminder, the book of Acts is called Acts because it is a historical account of the actions of the apostles. People like Paul and Barnabas, Peter, others. Specifically, it's the actions of the Holy Spirit working through um, these apostles. And so if you remember, you know, the the earlier chapters of the book, Jesus gives his commands for them to go out and be his witnesses. He tells them, don't just be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but make your way out to the ends of the earth. And so chapters one through nine are really all about the apostles and their witness in Jerusalem and the nearby regions. Peter is the main character in chapters one through nine. Then we get to chapters 10 through 14 and the apostles have been going out to the Gentile world and Paul becomes the main character there. And so today we pick up with Paul still on this missionary journey. Um, He was sent out with Barnabas from the church in Antioch of Syria, which is on the northeastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, They have made their way over to the island of Cyprus and then north up to what we would call modern day Turkey. They eventually called, they came to a a town called Lystra. Um, But before arriving there, they had preached in many other cities. Two of those cities were a city named Antioch of Pisidia, a second Antioch, and then also another city named Iconium. And as they preached, you know, we've said they've had two different responses. They preach and some people receive the gospel and churches are started. And at the same time, other people in those cities reject the gospel and bring opposition. So in Pisidian Antioch, you had both going on. In Pisidian Antioch, some people believed, but great number of Jews you know, came against them and persecuted them, and the disciples uh, had to leave. The apostles had to leave. In the city of Iconium, a secret plot ended up being devised against the apostles, and the apostles found out about it, and so they got out of town before they were killed. And when they left Iconium, the place that they went was to the city of Lystra. And in Lystra, again, where our text picks up today, some interesting things happened in Lystra that we studied last week. They healed a man who was crippled from birth. Um, all the people who saw that healing take place, they look at Paul and Barnabas and they say, you are the gods who have come down to earth to visit us. And so they called uh, Paul Hermes and they called um, Barnabas Zeus. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, we are men like you. Do not call us uh, gods. Actually turn and worship the one true living God. And we left off with them barely being able to restrain the people from worshiping them and making sacrifices to them. Now that's where we left off. And today we're going to see what happens next as Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, but then they complete this first missionary journey and they return home. So today we're going to work our way straight through verses 19 through 28, as always making several teaching points along the way. We'll bring it home with some personal applications for us, not just individually, but also collectively for our church. And really the big idea from this text is very simple. It's that God's mission is fulfilled by God's church in God's power. God's mission is fulfilled by God's church in God's 
power. That's really the main idea here as we wrap up this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. Let's see this as we get into the text, starting in verse 19. Verse 19 says this, it says, but Jews from Antioch, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So again, Paul is in Lystra with Barnabas preaching there, but it says that these Jews came from cities where they had previously ministered from Antioch and Pisidia and from Iconium. And guys, I don't know if you recognize this, but Geographically speaking, Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium were like a hundred miles away from Lystra. So over a hundred miles away. It would be like somebody traveling all the way from Indianapolis to here, you know, to, to stop us from ministering in the name of Christ and preaching the gospel. And of course, back then they didn't have cars and, you know, all the modern technology. Like they had to like hike it on foot or travel on a horse or on a donkey. In other words, these people who were opposing the gospel, man, they were serious. They were committed. They were so serious that they wanted to kill the apostle Paul. Our text says that they, that they stoned him. They, they literally picked up rocks and threw them at him over and over again until his body was beat down so bad that he fell down to the ground as if he was dead and they dragged his uh, body out of the city, right? They didn't just want to silence the message. They wanted to kill the messenger. And that's what's going on here. Now, this just all leads to one basic point that I want to just reemphasize. We've talked about it in previous sermons, but I want to mention it here. Guys, sometimes it can be dangerous to live out God's mission for the church. Sometimes it can be dangerous to live out God's mission for the church. We, there are loads of stories of people in other countries where they are literally being persecuted for their faith. We've probably all heard them. I don't know if you know anybody personally who has ever experienced hostility for the sake of Christ. I have friends whose family members were killed in a Middle Eastern country because they would not recant their faith in Jesus. It's happening around the world. It hardly ever happens to that extreme like here in the United States. But I think one thing we're all aware of is that hostility against Christians because of our Christian values is increasing in our country. Just a handful of examples. Jack Phillips, maybe you've heard of him. He's the baker who refused to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding back in 2012. He has continually been harassed about this now for over a decade. Even though the Supreme Court ruled in his favor back in 2018, he still gets flooded with requests to make these types of cakes that are profane or perverse against his Christian values. And when he refuses to do so, the whole process starts over again. He gets litigation. He gets dragged to court. He gets personally harassed and sometimes personally threatened. And this happens to him. Why? Because he's running his business according to his Christian values. Maybe you've heard of a woman named Baronel Stutzman. She was the florist who refused to make a flower arrangement for a same-sex wedding. For nine years, she was drugged through a court case and appeal after appeal and challenge after challenge. She was put in the position of acting against her Christian values or paying astronomically high attorney fees. They, this eventually forced her into retirement from her own business last year and she had to hand the leadership of the business off to other people in 2021. Why? Because she's living out her Christian values in her workplace. Maybe you've heard of coach Joe Kennedy, the high school coach who was fired from his high school football coaching job back in 2015. Why? Because he was praying 
in public, which is a right protected by our First Amendment, right? But he finally re received a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court this year, but that was a seven-year drawn-out process of uh, hardship after hardship. And these are just a few modern-day examples. They're nowhere near as extreme as the stories we hear in other parts of the world. Um, but, but we can't deny it. Hostility against Christians is increasing in our culture today. And whether we're talking about Lystra in the first century or America in 2022, the truth remains. Sometimes it can be dangerous to live out God's mission for the church. Sometimes it can be dangerous. Paul, in our text, was stoned by the hostile crowds. He got dragged out of the city. Let's see what happened in verse 21, or excuse me, verse 20. Verse 20 says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Paul is one determined guy, right? I mean, he got stoned. The Lord raised him up. And you'd think he'd go take a break. Nope, back to the city he goes. And it says that the very next day, he and Barnabas left to go on to the next city, the city of Derby, which, by the way, is like 50 miles away from Lystra. So you've got a guy who's been almost stoned to death. His body is probably totally beat down. And the next day, he gets up and goes on a 50-mile hike. You know what I mean? Like, this is one, this is a man who had great strength. How could Paul do that? How could Paul have the strength to go back into the city and then go on to the next city despite what just happened to him? Here's how he could do it. It's because God strengthened him for the task. God's mission is fulfilled by God's church. How? In God's power. All right? That's what we're talking about in this text. What is the mission of the church? We're talking about God's mission today. What is the mission of the church? Look at verse 21. We get an indicator. Verse 21 says that when they had preached the gospel to that city, talking about Derby, and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they went into Derby. they preached, and they made disciples, right? So we have to remember Paul and Barnabas, they're on a mission trip. They're on a missionary journey. And on that trip, they're not just concerned with making converts. They're not just concerned about people praying a prayer, making a decision for Christ, making a profession of faith. They're not just concerned about that. Once people have made a profession of faith in Jesus, they're interested in now in helping them become disciples. Disciples being students or learners or followers, imitators of one person or another. And so they're helping people learn to follow and obey and learn of Jesus and imitate his ways. That's the mission of the church. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not just to make converts, but to make disciples. Um, recently, my wife and I went to a wedding for a gentleman in our church. Um, not just a gentleman, he and his bride both go to our church. We went to that wedding and uh, it was a blessing being at that wedding because at one point I looked up on the, kind of in the front area and I was paying attention to who the groomsmen were. And one of those groomsmen stood out to me because about five years or so ago, the groom and I were meeting and we were praying for that groomsman, that that groomsman would come to faith in Jesus. About a couple years ago, that groomsman gave his life to Christ. And over the past two years, that groomsman has been being discipled. He's now in the groom's growth group. He's in Christian community. He's being discipled by other people in the body of Christ. And he's growing like crazy. And it was a blessing to me because the groom wasn't just interested in making his groomsman into a convert. He, he, was, he was interested in helping his friend become a disciple of Jesus. 
And that's our mission, right? That's our mission as a church is to make disciples. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're preaching and making disciples in Derby. And from there, they leave Derby and they go back to Lystra, which is the place where Paul almost just got stoned to death. So he's crazy. He goes back there. From there, they go back to Iconium, which is the place where they almost got stoned to death, but the plot got discovered. And from there, they go back to Antioch of Pisidia, which is the place where they received persecution from the Jews and they got driven out of the city. So Paul and Barnabas are going right back to these places of persecution. Why are they doing that? What is in their bones so deeply that they are, are willing to go back to these places of persecution? Here's what's in their bones. They love the church. They love the Lord and they love his church. Look what it says about their commitment to the church in verse 22. They went back, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Man, these guys loved the church. They were willing to give their life to the church no matter what it cost them. They, and I think Paul and Barnabas probably knew that these new converts in these new churches were probably struggling. Because remember, these churches were only like a few months old. Right? It's not like they had 54 years of history like our church. These were brand new churches that Paul had just previously started on this missionary trip. And now they're looking at Paul and Barnabas' life. And they're saying, wow, if you follow Jesus, everywhere you go, you got people trying to kill you. They're stoning you. They're kicking you out of the city. People hate you. They want to argue against you. You know, man, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I really want that. I bet Paul and Barnabas were thinking, man, there are these impressionable, young, vulnerable new Christians who may be second-guessing their commitment to follow Jesus. Let's strengthen the church. Let's strengthen the church. So Paul and Barnabas decide to help these believers. And I imagine them saying, look, we have taught you to follow Jesus, to learn from him, to adhere to his teaching. So let us remind you what Jesus said. Our Lord Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Our Lord Jesus said this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Our Lord Jesus said, you, you must count the cost of following me. Like a man building a house or like a king deciding to go to war. You've got to figure out how much it's going to cost you before you make the decision to go. So count the cost of carrying the cross before you come and follow me. Luke 14, Jesus taught that. Listen, we all know this, but Jesus never taught that following him was going to be easy. But he did teach that persevering would be worth it. It would be worth it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus says in Luke 21, you will be hated by all uh, for my name's sake, but your, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Matthew 24, Jesus said, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will fall away, but the one en who endures to the end will be saved. Paul and Barnabas are saying, you want to follow Jesus? You got to know what Jesus taught. Jesus taught the importance of perseverance because it is through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. Persevering to the end will be worth it. Will be worth it. Verse 23 says that Paul and Barnabas went back to these churches, teaching them to persevere. And it says this in verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you can see what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. They're doing mission work. They've planted these churches. Ch communities and churches are forming. And now they're going back to each of these churches and they're establishing leadership. 
And the leadership that's being appointed, or maybe some of your versions of scripture will say ordained, the leadership that's being appointed, these leaders are called elders. And elders, we might just automatically associate that with older men, but the New Testament associates elders with godly men, mature men, people who are seasoned in their faith and have a proven track record of godliness. They meet very clear criteria um, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5. The church, you know, the, the scriptures teach over and over that the church is to be led by called and qualified godly men called elders. And so elders are carefully appointed. They, they didn't flippantly appoint these elders. They didn't just be like, okay, who's the oldest? Who, who do you guys know? Who do you like? None of that. You know, they... You know, they seriously, they prayed and they fasted over this. Like, what a lesson for us to learn. What if we took the appointment of our elders so seriously that we committed it not just to prayer, but to fasting? Lesson learned here for us, maybe. It was taken seriously. They prayed, they fasted, they sought God's will. And once God's will was discerned, then they did what? They committed these men to the Lord, which means they, they set them apart from the rest of the church, commissioning them to do that work of shepherding and eldering, leading and overseeing the church, teaching and protecting the church from false teaching. Elders were appointed to oversee all these new churches that had started up. Verse 24. It says, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So there are a lot of locations mentioned right there. And uh, you know me, I can't make it through a sermon without the map being on the screen. So here, bring the map back. Here it goes. So you can kind of see where they are um, in Derby. You can see they made their way back to Lystra. And then they went to Iconium and Pisidia and Antioch. So they're kind of just making their way back from how they came. And you can see on the map that they go back down to Perga, which is the region of Italia. If you see it in a map in your Bible or whatever, you can put that all together. But from that, that area of Perga, you know, this time, instead of going down to Cyprus, this time now they return kind of north of Cyprus by going across the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, back to Antioch of Syria. So they're returning by almost the same route that they came. And I want you to look back with me at verse 26 for a second. In verse 26, it says that they returned to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And man, over the past few weeks, we have seen that they have fulfilled some work, haven't they? They sailed across the Mediterranean Sea. They preached all across Cyprus. They opposed Elimus, the sorcerer. They faced opposition in every city. They gathered the whole city together to hear the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. They did signs and wonders, you know, um, before escaping stoning in Iconium. They healed a crippled man. They were called gods and they survived stoning in Lystra. They made disciples in Derby. They returned to each hostile city and appointed elders in every church and they kept preaching down in Perga and all of that. And then they finally sailed and made their way back home. And church family, what does it say? This was the work that they did and what? It was all done by the grace of God. They had been commended to the grace of God for their work. Guys, God's mission is fulfilled by God's church in God's power. It's all by his grace. So 
They come back to their sending church. Verse 27. They come back to the church in Antioch of Syria. Verse 27 says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So they come back and they get the church together and they're celebrating that God had opened this door to the Gentiles. You know, in Antioch of Syria, it was basically Jews still kind of living there for the most part. And so, you know, they're, they're celebrating. Even the, even the Gentiles can believe. Look at, the, look at what has happened here. The Gentiles had been saved. And it says that, that they declared all that who had done? All that God had done. God did it. All their works were done by the grace of God. Every sea that was sailed, every city that was entered, every difficulty that was overcome, every miracle that was done, every sermon that was preached, every person that believed, every disciple that was made, every church that was formed, every elder that was appointed, it was all God who did it. God's work, all that God had done, because God's mission is fulfilled by God's church in God's power. Apart from him, we're able to do nothing. So before we close, let's not just rush past verse 28. Simple verse, but meaningful. Verse 28 says that they remained no little time with the disciples. So they go back into Antioch of Syria in their home church and they, they remain no little time. What, what do they do? They stay there. They stay there for a while. In other words... They came back home, right? They came back home. It was in their church home where they could share all these stories. It was in their church home where they could rest and let their bodies recover. It was in their church home where they could have fellowship with other disciples and enjoy the community of God. This local church was home for these missionaries. And they stayed there for six to nine more months and then as we'll see in chapter 15, they go off on their next journey. And we'll start into that over the next couple weeks. But today, I want us to just reflect on this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And I want us to bring some personal application. What are some takeaways for us? First takeaway for us, church family. Let's be active in God's disciple-making mission, even if it's dangerous for us. Let's be active in God's disciple-making mission, even if it's dangerous for us. Preach the gospel, make disciples. That's the mission that Jesus has given his church. Be my witnesses to the ends of the, word, of the earth. Make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've command. This is the mission of the church. We can get so caught up in other programs and other things in our church when really our mission is simple. Preach Christ and make disciples. So church family, if you are a follower of Jesus... I want to ask you a simple but a direct question. It's, I, hope, I really hope you'll take the time to think this through in your own life. How are you involved in God's disciple-making mission? How are you personally involved in making disciples? I mean, we can be busy in all sorts of other things. How are you personally involved in the mission, the main thing? I hope that as a church, we stay on mission. I pray that we stay focused on keeping disciple-making for the glory of Jesus Christ at the forefront of what we do. Paul and Barnabas did this. They, they stayed on mission. 
They didn't quit when it got hard. They didn't quit when it got unpopular. They didn't quit when they suffered. They persevered. They persevered themselves, and then they taught, they taught the rest of the church to persevere. And church family, we must learn to persevere in the mission of disciple-making, even when it gets dangerous for us. Because let's just be honest, it may not, it may not be super dangerous for us right now. In fact, for most of us, it's probably not dangerous at all. We're probably not facing much hostility at all for our faith. But we are seeing it increase in our country. And before we know it, the opposition is going to increase for our kids and even more for their kids and even more for their kids. And so generations are going to come. So what do we need to see? We need to be teaching our children right now that by God's grace, we have it pretty easy, but it probably won't always be that way. So we must teach our kids the importance of perseverance. Are they really going to believe us when they see mom and dad wimping out on our faith because of the little bit of resistance we get this day, these days? Let's show them a good example of perseverance so that the generations will proclaim the name of Christ. Some of you in this room may actually have experienced a level of hostility for your faith. I don't know your story. Maybe your family has rejected you. Maybe people in your workplace are coming against you because you uphold your Christian values. Maybe you're a student and you're experiencing real friction with your classmates who have different values than you. I just want, and you may have some introductory type suffering going on. I just want to speak pastorally to you for a moment if there's some hostility coming your way. Church family, we must remember this. We must teach this to our children. We must pass this down. The biblical principle is this. Suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. We see this in the life of Jesus. Before his ascension to heaven, he had a descension to earth. Before his resurrection, there was a crucifixion. Before the empty tomb, there was a bloody cross. Christ's suffering preceded his glory. We see this in the life of biblical characters throughout the storyline of scripture. Abraham was grieving before God granted him a son. Israel was enslaved to Egypt before they were led into the promised land. David was hunted down by King Saul before he ascended to the throne. Most of the disciples were martyred for their faith before God called them home to heaven. Their suffering preceded their glory. That's the biblical principle. And church family, Christian in the room, there may be times when suffering comes for you, but we must know this. Our suffering, you know, may precede our glory. Suffering precedes glory. If you are suffering some sort of opposition for your faith right now, take heart in this. One day you will see your Savior. One day you will enter his kingdom, and one day you will be given a crown. God does not overlook what you have done for the sake of his name. Your suffering will precede your glory, and your persevering will be worthwhile. So let's be active in the disciple-making mission, even if it becomes dangerous for us to do so. That's really the main, I think that's the main takeaway from the evaluation of Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. I think that's the main lesson. But there's also a couple other things that I think apply to our church that I just want to touch on um, and really hope to encourage us and move us to be a growing, maturing church. Here's a second takeaway. Church family, we need to be a home for those that we've sent out on mission. For those missionaries that, that we have sent out, when they come back here, it needs to feel like coming home. 
That's the way it was for Paul and Barnabas. They came back. They were welcomed home. The church gathered. They wanted to hear the stories. They wanted to, to fellowship. They felt like this is a place where we could stay for a while. And church family, I hope our missionaries do the same. Whether it's short-termers that go out on short trips or long-termers that stay out in the field for a long time and then eventually come back for furlough and respite. You know, whether it's the Bryce and Natasha Natiers, whether it's the Natasha Dobsons of the world, whether it's the missionaries whose names we can't even say out loud because of the hostile parts of the world they're in or whether it's our short-term trip members that we send out from time to time. We need to make this place feel like home to them. When they come here, they're coming home. So the church family, wouldn't it be beautiful if we were the church that says, you're back, we, we are glad you're here. We want to hear your stories. We want to know what God has done. We want to pray with you. We want to open our homes to you. We want to encourage you and support you in your work. Guys, this, is, this should be like home for our missionaries. And I believe that that's an area where the Lord is going to grow us. I'm so grateful that God has brought Jim and uh, Aldine to our church where we can start to um, increase our efforts towards not just doing mission work, but caring for our mission partners. I hope that you keep seeing an emphasis on celebrating God's mission work that he's been doing around the world. You're going to see this October 23rd. is going to be a fun date for us as a church where we have our Make Him Known Mission Sunday where you're going to hear from various missionaries about what God has done on their trips or in their field over the course of this past year. So that's a small step that we're saying, saying, hey, we want to be, it's a small step we're taking because we want to be a home for those that we send out on mission. Third takeaway for us. Amidst all this mission work, church family, let's remember who actually accomplishes the mission. <laughs> who is it that actually accomplishes the mission? We've seen it in today's text. Preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, doing it all around the world. Whose work, who really did it? God did it. It's all that God had done was all by his grace, done by his people that he purchased with his blood. It was his church that he's been building from start to finish. It's God's work. God is the one accomplishing the mission because God's mission is fulfilled through God's church. How? By God's power. Keep that in mind today. It's all about him. It's all about him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can open your word again today and be encouraged through your word and challenged um, in our mission's zeal and efforts. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would please help our church to be a church that stays on mission for you. Lord, that we, um, that we would actually increase in our zeal for disciple making and um, helping others truly become followers and imitators of you, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that we would be a church that in the midst of all of our programming and other activities, that we wouldn't lose track of your commission, that we would go into the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all you've commanded, being your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would keep us on that mission. And Lord, um, I pray that you would let us be a home for the missionaries we send out, that we would become very intentional and very loving in our care and our support for missionaries, especially those who have come from our church. And Lord, I pray that you would show us how to do that. We need to grow in that area, Lord, so please show us, move us, convict us, uh, open our eyes 
to how we can do a better job of that. And Lord, specifically in closing today, I want to pray specifically maybe for anybody who's in this room who is experiencing a level of hostility because of their uh, their faith in you, because of their intentionality of living out your values and your teachings. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to persevere to the end, knowing that suffering precedes glory and that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. So Lord, please keep us faithful to the task even when it becomes dangerous to do so. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.